0: Welcome to the EDGL. So, hey, welcome to the podcast this week. I'm going to be chatting, and I am chatting to Kevin Ostrowski. Um, hey, Kev, welcome to the show, man.
1: Oh, thanks, mate. It's great to be here,
0: dude. I know we can't, you know, physically be sitting next to each other because of COVID, so we're a bit distant. Um, but man, it's so good to chat with you, um, dude. Thank you for coming on the show. It's
1: my absolute pleasure. It's been been wanting to get onto the podcast for a while. been listening to some of the episodes. They've been great so far.
0: Sick, mate. Now, number one, who is Ko? Who is Kevin Ostrowski, mate? Um, who are you, and where do you work, or what do you do, and what do you like? What do you like to do in your spare time, man?
1: Ah, all right. Well, first of all, who am I? I guess I'm a Canadian who's living in Australia. Yeah, I'm both a uh, pre-hospital and retrieval medicine uh, physician, as well as I'm a staff specialist at. Sutherland Hospital. and I'm the VMO at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital. I've done all of my med school and all of my training here in Australia. Dude, and what do you like to do in your spare
0: time, man? What 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 keeps you going?
1: All sorts of things. These days, I'm I've got a two and a half year old at home, so that's uh, the vast majority of my spare time is spent hanging out with her and um, getting her life sorted out. But you know, yeah. other than that, uh, staying fit, staying active. So bike regularly, uh, do a bit of CrossFit, do a bit of running. Um, whatever I can do outside, you know, so just try to stay active. You're a keen golfer, mate. You got a good swing? Oh, I did back in the day. These days, it's more of kind of once every six months to a year type of excursion, but managed to sneak out for a few holes yesterday, which was good.
0: Nice, mate. Nice. Now, um, I'm interested in retrieval. I've always loved retrieval and doing trauma as well. Can you tell me mate, a little bit about the retrieval system and how does it work?
1: absolutely so um, what we'll do is i think we'll probably chat a little bit about the new south wales system if that's um, yeah that's for sure that'd be great uh, that suits so within new south wales there's quite a variety of uh, you know different organizations and groups that work together to provide an absolutely fantastic retrieval pre-hospital and retrieval system for the whole state um so with within sydney there's a couple different um, different bases there's a Westmead base that has a uh, has the uh, care flights uh, helicopter the rapid response helicopter yeah there's also the Bankstown base which has um, multiple assets uh, throughout the state there's also um, a base in Wollongong a base in Orange, a base in Canberra, Newcastle, Tamworth, Lismore, um, there's also RFDS does, um, does some work out west, out in Broken Hill and Dubbo. So, you know, there's a quite a variety of bases with different crews all working together to um, all coordinated through the Aeromedical Control Centre. Um, but yeah, it's quite a quite a, a pretty impressive system if you think about it, how many different groups are working together to provide this.
0: Mate, it sounds intense just to know that it's all through New South Wales and just the amount of different patients um, that Retrie will be looking after will be huge. For people that are listening, doctors, nurses, what is the job like um, in retrieval? What What is your job in Kev? It's well, to me, I see it as something that's actually
1: surprising. It is fairly different from working in an emergency department. That's one of the reasons why I do love the job. Is it is a bit of you know a bit of variety. Um, the job itself, you see, a, an amazing case mix of. Uh, both pre-hospital trauma cases and actually the almost the majority of our jobs are inter-hospital um cases that their um that their critical care is being upgraded or they're being transferred from one hospital to another for an intervention or procedure that can't be done at the um that can only be done at the receiving hospital so it is a it's the type of job that you see a great variety of cases You work with a An exceptional team that are all functioning on a very high level you have the access to some some of the best equipment and the most exceptional training program I've been through and um, every day is different you get a variety of challenging and memorable memorable cases and there's you know every day you go to the job with a, a sense of excitement that you really don't know what you're gonna what you're gonna get when you show up there
0: what does pre-hospital mean? So for, for those in emergency, I think we know a little bit about it. Yeah, who's, who's in the team?
1: There are There's different kind of structures of teams throughout, you know, throughout, all throughout Australia and throughout the world. But the teams that I'm primarily working on involve a uh, pre-hospital. So the, the team depends if you're going by road or by helicopter yep. or by fixed wing. Okay. Um, if you're going by road, it's essentially what the team is, is you and the paramedic. So it's a critical care paramedic who are what i feel are the best in the business they're exceptionally well trained um and all cases you approach them as a team and you stick with your team throughout that whole job yeah. for the pre-hospital helicopter jobs you also are in the helicopter obviously you have a pilot and a crewman involved in well as well um, and they're essential parts of the team we also get involved in fixed wing missions um, that in, on rare occasion can be Uh, pre-hospital and those involve um, you work with a flight nurse on those so once again every day you show up you get to work with someone new but you know you've all been through the same training programs you all work off the same standard operating procedures Um, so that kind of gives you the level of comfort and level of familiarity that no matter who you're going to be working with you have a reasonably good idea of how they're going to perform performing what sort of equipment and procedures you're going to be doing and how those procedures are gonna be
0: done wow. are gonna be done. I, I get a vision of sort of like a almost military like military almost, you know, very structured, very organized, um, able to cope with high amounts of stress. Do do you know before the job if you're jumping in a helicopter, you jump in a plane, you're getting in an ambulance? Like it's a bit like James Bond mate. I just sort of you know, <laughs> you know how do you know? That's
1: that's the thing, you never know what you're gonna expect when you come to a job, even when you get the information from a pre-hospital tasking oftentimes the call will have gone to through to triple zero just you know within minutes of the actual tasking so the amount of information provided um, when you're tasked on these jobs is oftentimes extremely minimal but i guess you're always reassured by the fact that you know when you get there you know who you're going to be working with you're going to be able to focus on things like controlling the environment you're working on you can go back to the fundamentals, you're gonna be using checklists, you're gonna be using closed loop communication, and you're always gonna be summarizing your plan and using that shared mental model with the rest of the team. But uh, th- that's the thing, it's, you, know, you can never really predict what that sort of job is gonna be, but you always fall back on those, those fundamentals and training that you've gone through uh, throughout all of your preparation for this job.
0: Now Kev, talk me through, let's start pre-hospital. Um, you're sitting on. I'm assuming you're on a base somewhere, Kev. I'm, I'm assuming you know you're sitting on a base. The call comes out. Um, you've got to go to a pre-hospital job. What happens, Kev? For those listening, what happens?
1: So first of all, you get the call through to the. Um, I guess the, the initial triple zero call goes through and is actually flagged by someone called the Rapid Launch Trauma Coordinator. Okay. At that point, they they're in a separate site from where the actual paramedics and they are paramedics but they're from they're at a separate site from where the actual retrieval team is located if that job is a deemed to require a medical team or a retrieval team they make another phone call to us and essentially give us the basic details of the job and um, where the job is located at that point um, if it's a helicopter job the the pilot and the crewman go through and ensure that they can accept that job and at that point all systems are go so you're um, heading out to the helicopter you've got your get suited up in your gears so You get your helmet on you get your life vest you get your harness on all of your kit and your blood and your ultrasound is usually pre, um, pre-organized and already set out in the helicopter for you so yeah. essentially what you have is you have an address you have basic details of the job and you're Heading there as soon as he possibly can.
0: Okay, and how oh, helicopters? Mate, I know nothing about them. You're, let's say, you're based at Bankstown or somewhere, and you need to get to Wollongong, or somewhere, you know, or, or let's say you're going down the South Coast, uh, Uladella. Yep. Let's say Uladella. How quickly? Ula how how, how can we talk get there?
1: Um, within within Sydney or the Greater Sydney area, usually you can be on scene within about half hour. Wow. Um, extending further than that, obviously, it all depends on the kilometers travel, travel time. But um, for a pre-hospital job, usually you're airborne within about 10 minutes. Wow. Um, and you're on scene. It all depends on how far you got to go and what sort of landing sites are organized for you. But you're um, landing shortly after that and you should be ready to go.
0: Yeah, And like for people that don't know you, Kev, you're a pretty relaxed kind of guy. I've, I've been in a pretty hair, few hairy resources with you. and a few of your statements are. We're all good, buddy. Now I'm. You can't get nervous. Just, you know, you're sitting in there. You've got your helmet on. You're geared up, and you've been told you're going to a pretty you know dicey scene, you know, motor motor vehicle accident or a, or a uh, you know cyclist. How are you feeling, Kev?
1: Uh, I think it would be. You know, you I always get the nerves before a job. I think it would be. You know, you've kind of lost the passion or desire if you don't get nervous, and that's maybe one of the reasons why I enjoy the job so much is kind of rather than nervous it's more than knowing that it is a challenge ahead and it's you know there's going to be chaos and there's going to be things that you won't be able to predict that are happening on scene but you always have the I guess what the stability and all that is you always have the knowing that you're working with an exceptional team you have all the training that you've gone through to fall back on you've drilled all the procedures you're going to do yeah. um you know exactly what sort of workflow you're going to have as a team arriving on the job um so all those things are the constants but it's i guess it's kind of more the excitement of being able to have um sometimes you're having first um, access to these critically unwell patients which makes it a little bit different when you're in hospital oftentimes there's large recess bays filled with you know 10 15 20 people sometimes or is it this these sort of pre-hospital scenes it's can be just you, um, your critical care paramedic and a couple other paramedics on scene. So that kind of makes of excitement is that you're, um, I guess adds to the excitement that you kind of have these critical interventions, which you can do pre-hospital that will have a definitive beneficial effect for those patients.
0: Well, and we're talking about like landing on ovals, like rock faces, um, immersion, like with water um, at night. Surely you're yeah. going out, and, you know, two in the morning, those sort of times?
1: Absolutely. So, yeah, clearly the, yeah, the, the re- retrieval systems is working at, a, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you're going out all different times of day and night. And um, I guess you've got to be ready to go whenever the call comes in. And you're doing 24-hour shifts? No, I'm not. No. Oh,
0: crazy. No, unfortunately say, not. I'm- 12-hour shifts. Oh, good. Shifts. I was going to say, man, holy moly, I do a 12-hour shift and I'm stuffed. So man, it's just crazy just to sort of you know think about that. I'm assuming like, what's it like being in a helicopter? Um, Is it exciting? I, sort of- I enjoy
1: it. You kind of, the, the. I love. I love flying. I love you know, being able to. I guess I love being able to arrive on the scene in a helicopter. You know that sort of rush of doing that. Yeah, man, never will go away.
0: Yeah, clearly, so but
1: far. um, I just you know I love flying. I, you know I'm and I just kind of enjoy looking out seeing the scenery and as well being able to transport patients in a helicopter that I know that it would be quite difficult to get them from point A to point B any other, any other way.
0: Yeah. And I love that you've mentioned to the intensive care paramedic um, and the team, you know, the nurse, when you're doing um, fixed wing and that you've, you know, just mentioned how much you need that collaboration. You need Mm. to be on the same page before you're at a job. Um, Kev, what type of training do you need? Like uh, if, if there's doctors that are interested in getting in retrieval, um, you know, or even just they're going to be doing it soon. Um, do you guys, you know, practice, you know, climbing out of the helicopter? Do you practice winching? Do you practice? Oh, we sick? practice
1: all of that. We practice, at, you know, at a, more training goes into preparing for, uh, you know, starting a return in retrieval medicine than I think goes into anything really. We spend weeks um, doing all sorts of training this includes the pre-hospital trauma course a full week on inter-hospital transfers wow. ultrasound training we do um, almost two weeks of uh, helicopter training so that's everything in regards to safety around the helicopter yes. practicing the um, I guess I'm practicing for all those you know exceptionally rare situations but situations you gotta plan for when something does go wrong but in saying that, this the safety record with all the organizations that are involved in this is absolutely exceptional. And the culture around safety is just, you know, blows me away. And, you know, how, I don't, what an exceptionally high level they are performing that, performing in regards to safety and um, training is kind of, I think it's actually unparalleled with, you know, anything else I've seen in the medical profession.
0: 100%. And on all of the retrievalists I've ever met, confident yet mm. not cocky. And I love that mm. about retrievalists. Um, Mate, inter-hospital, so talk to me about, we talked about pre-hospital. You talked about a lot of your jobs being inter-hospital transfers. Um, How does that work? What's the, you know, how does does it work for those listening?
1: Absolutely, so it's a a bit of a, you can still have very urgent inter-hospital jobs, but oftentimes there is a little bit more time that goes into this. What you're often doing, as I said, you're taking patients from an environment and either upgrading their level of critical care. So taking patients from a smaller non-tertiary hospital and bringing them for ongoing intensive care, level care to a tertiary institution or um, as well, or you're bringing them for a procedure that can't be done at the, um, that can only be done at the receiving hospital. So the actual workflow isn't actually that much different. Okay. Um, most of the time depends whether it's a fixed wing road or a helicopter job, but you're working once again, often in teams of two, yep. you arrive on scene um, or you arrive in that hospital, you do your initial initial assessment of the patient. So oftentimes what that is, is uh, first of all, you do a rapid clinical overview. So you're doing a visual assessment to see if there's any urgent issues that need to be dealt with you know, if the patient's critically hypoxic or, you know, obstructing an airway, something like that. Yep. Take a look at, um, you know, at that stage, if you're happy that there is some sort of stability to the patient, um, t- take a more thorough and full handover from the, um, from the, from the medical team on site, yep. you're trying to gather all the information you possibly can. So you're all the imaging, all the labs, Um, looking and looking at all the infusions the patient patient is on um and rationalizing them you do a next step you progress through a top to toe assessment so a through to e so you are looking at the airway if the patient's intubated where is that um where's that endotracheal tube and subsequently moving through all those different parameters that we're you know so familiar with Um, and kind of at that point you come together with the you know, your team member you're working with, um, oftentimes that paramedic, share your findings, so you're, you're updating everyone in the room, what the actual next step is going to be, is going to be. updating everyone in reg- regards to the clinical and logistic plan. Throughout this whole time as well, you're focusing on mission momentum and making sure um, activities happening simultaneously, um, and just trying to keep the job moving forward.
0: Okay. How, how long are you generally spending in hospital? So you turn up and let's say you've got a head injury from, I don't know, Bathurst you've got to bring to Sydney. Are we talking like, you know, it, it can take a couple of hours to get the, the patient out of the hospital?
1: Once again, it all dep- depends on the stability of the patient. It sounds okay. like, you know, someone with a critical head injury, you'd want to ensure that that momentum of that job is moving uh, quite fast. So usually kind of, half hour, 45 minutes, you'd okay. want to be spending in hospital for those sort of things. But sometimes as well on the other side of things, it's you're, you're moving, you're providing intensive care at those smaller hospitals who may not have that capacity to provide that level of care. So, you know, sometimes at these really small places, you're doing the full resuscitation, you're intubating the patient, putting in arterial lines, putting in central lines, starting them on inotropes. So all these things, you know, depending on the job and depending on what's been done by the time you get there, have a, an extremely wide variety of, you know, frames that you're looking
0: at. Would that be you doing that, Kev, if you got to a site and people were not as skilled in those areas where you, you know, airway skills or... Absolutely. So that's
1: some of my most enjoyable kind of rewarding jobs are when you go to those you know, very hospital, very small rural clinics um, and just you know, provide that sort of level of care and get the team there involved as well. And, you know, sometimes they won't see patients this sick, you know, it's exceptionally rare for them. So get those teams involved. But oftentimes you are doing all of those procedures yourself and um, getting to the patient to a point that they're stable enough to move them. So,
0: Right. It's, it sounds like you're a jack of trades. As I'm sure you understand that
1: it's, you know, as well in part of that, it's you want to have everything sorted out and organized and stable enough to be able to be comfortable in bringing that sort of patient onto a helicopter. As I'm sure you can appreciate, the helicopter isn't the type of environment when you're, you know, on, on headsets, lighting isn't the best, difficult communications that you want to be, and difficult access to the patient where you want to be doing a huge amount of invasive procedures. So a lot of the time you want to make sure all that stuff's done
0: beforehand done on the ground and and i know that you know looking after a critical care patient myself there's multiple lines like we've got we've got a tube in hopefully we might have chest strains and trauma we may have like a pelvis unstable pelvis we may have blood running we may have inotropes running multiple infusions running um yep. it's can't, like let's face it ed is messy you can it can look like a dog's breakfast mm. is there anything for retrieval that you, you want to get sorted out and what what do we got to do to sort these patients out? It's you know having the package, the patient
1: packaged neatly is one of the you know arts of retrieval medicine. They, um, you know, it's and but it is one of these things that the the paramedics I find are exceptional at this in regards to packaging the patient in a neat, organized way. So you know exactly where all your lines are, what your infusions are, ensuring that all those infusions are rationalized. So oftentimes when you get to a hospital, um, you'll find the patient on five or six different infusions. Um, but a lot of the fusions you have to kind of justify and rationalize and see what you can eliminate just to make that job simpler when you're actually moving the patient. So it's oftentimes you limit it to essential things such as inotropes, um, sedation. Um, and oftentimes you have an access line as well. So you have to, you know, it's the trade it off but oftentimes you want to limit the number of infusions and you know complicated spaghetti work that's around the patient just try to keep it to the bare essentials just to make your life simpler
0: and i'm assuming that's a, a take taking a lot of years to rationalize what things you need and what things you don't need
1: it, it does but it is one of those things that you know I'm a bit of a minimalist and I you know, I don't have much hesitation to stopping a pentoprazole infusion or you know, heparin infusion or something like that and really kind of making sure what I'm what I've got going is justified. But once again, a lot of these paramedics you're working with have been in the job twenty or thirty years and they they're quite switched on to what exactly is needed and what isn't. So you're always working in that team. There's a lot of team things that I guess I guess a team can do to really, if they have the time to actually help the retrieval team to be able to move that patient so they're not stuck in the hospital for a prolonged period of time and that? so some of those things i guess you obviously want two good iv access sites you want to have a primed pump set with a liter of crystalloid on a, um ready to go you want to have a oftentimes for intubated patients you'll need a recent blood gas yep. if the patient's gonna need an arterial line you want that in place and working well you want uh IDC, a nasogastric tube inserted and all the bags emptied. Ensure all the notes and imaging is accessible and in an optimal situation, it'll be copied out and put into a nice envelope for you. Consider and rationalize the drugs beforehand. And retrieval can only take drugs in smaller syringes. So you know if they can help pre-prepare those drugs, um, that's extremely helpful. And as well, notify the family and the, everyone else involved and ensure that there is a accepting bed and those details of where the patient is going is, um, has been sorted out.
0: I mean, Kev, let's just say I'm a junior doctor or you know, I'm a junior nurse in charge or something at a hospital. Mate, um, When do I make the call to retrieval do, if I know that my facility can't handle this type of patient? you know, I know it's a tricky question for yourself to answer, but what's your take on it?
1: I think if it's if it's clearly obvious that this patient needs to be moved, that call is made earlier, is beneficial to be made earlier rather than later. Okay. There's a lot of moving parts that go into um, making one of these jobs happen. And um, the earlier the, that the clinical coordinator and the Aeromedical Control Center are aware of this pending job, even if sometimes all the details aren't fully sorted out, that makes... Um, I guess the likelihood of that patient to be retrieved out and make it to their final destination in a timely fashion, much more likely. So I'd strongly advocate for calling sooner rather than later, but um, there is also, that's the balanced with, you know, making sure that all your information that you have is sorted out as well. With
0: pre-hospital stuff, like, you know, um, Let's say, Kev, you've gone to a, I don't know, a motorbike accident somewhere. Um, you're first on the scene, the helicopter lands, uh, there's only an, you know, another family member who's made the call on a property somewhere. It's pretty, you know, it's, it's, it's not good. Mm. How does it work out? You jump out of the helicopter, talk me through it. You're landing on the job site, what happens?
1: Absolutely, so, first thing you gotta do is you've, you know, the job starts from the, the time the phone call is made, so a lot of the time, depending on what clinical information is you get, you can start briefing with your paramedic in route to this job as into what sort of interventions you need, what sort of um, what the logistics around this job are going to be. Yep. You land at the job, you have your packs. Um, um, this includes your pre-hospital packs, which has everything you possibly need in them. You have your monitor, you have your uh, ventilator if needed, you have your ultrasound and your, Blood and you arrive together. You and your paramedic arrive together, ensuring that the scene is safe, and then you approach the patient. So, at this time, you're as is similar with an inter-hospital job. You're doing uh, simultaneous activity. You and the paramedic in predefined roles Um, for the doctor or the physician. The main role is essentially immediately on arrival is to um, do the primary survey, get get a history. Ensure that things like pain relief and sedation have been determined and you come back together with your paramedic um, and come up with a, you know, share your findings. As you're doing that, oftentimes what the paramedic is doing is they're getting oxygen on the patient. They're getting our monitor on the patient. They're looking at things like neck, I guess, getting a C collar on the patient, getting a pelvic binder on. Once again, making sure that IV or intraosseous access is Is sufficient getting some fluids up, but they're one of their kind of main keys for what they do. Is they as well have a kind of bit more of a scene oversight as this is kind of their bread and butter. These pre-hospital scenes, and come up with a bit more of a logistic plan. So, us considering all the factors that are going into where you know if this patient does need a rapid sequence intubation, where's the most appropriate place for this? What the logistics are going to be like getting that patient to the ultimate destination? whether or not that's gonna be by helicopter, by road, yeah. and kind of looking at all that. So both of you guys, both the teams have done your, their initial assessment, come together, describe and discuss what the next step of the plan is gonna be and subsequently go from there.
0: Wow, you know, I'm assuming at some scenes you are having to use a scalpel, like you're doing some pretty gnarly stuff.
1: Yeah, it all depends on, I guess, what you deem to be an urgent intervention that potentially could help the patient now. Um, So there is kind of a set number of procedures that we would kind of do pre-hospitally, but um, it's basically, it's coming together, having a clear patient assessment as a team coming up with a safe plan um, in what sort of interventions you can do in a timely fashion that are going to be a benefit of the patient and actually getting that patient to that destination um, in a safe and fast manner, essentially.
0: I mean, you know, as being a hospital, working in a hospital, everything's generally by ambulance has been brought to us so packaged. And we forget that when we're working in hospital that, you know, you guys have climbed down a, you know embankment at seven meters, you guys have sailed down, you've jumped out of a helicopter, um, you've got someone who's been trapped underneath a the tractor. Um, these are all the types of things, I don't know, is this true? Does this sort of stuff happens? It
1: does, absolutely. So it's, you know, amazing the simulations we do in the, I guess, the training weeks. It's amazing how when you're actually doing those simulations, oftentimes you're thinking this could never actually happen in real life. But then, you know, the the next week on a job, you see something that, you know, you couldn't actually believe would be even too outlandish for a simulation. So it is, it's amazing the training and, you know, thought that goes into these, but it is about kind of being prepared, being aware of the, you know, the psychological aspect of this and um, being able to deal with that sort of, chaos through all the training that you've done and being able to recognize how easy it is you know at times to max out your bandwidth but at the same time being able to fall back on all those principles that you've had drilled into you in all of your training and you know knowing all of your equipment going through those checklists and doing all those simple things well that allow these quite chaotic and sometimes quite fascinating scenes to be able to be managed in a you know, an effective way.
0: And obviously there's a lot of stuff on the retrieval sort of website. Like there's a lot of things out there for people that are interested in retrieval jobs. Like would you encourage people to get into retrieval?
1: Perfect balance for me is having a career in emergency medicine, but also being able to balance it with this, being able to do some of the pre-hospital and the critical care stuff. It allows me to stay up to date with all of the procedures, being able to work with a absolutely fantastic group of clinicians um, at the sites that I work at. And it's just, I feel it's one of the, it is the most rewarding job because of the level of intervention. Sometimes the difference you get to make in the actual care of the patient and sometimes working as an uh, emergency physician, sometimes you're a bit separated from that. Yeah. Um, And this allows you to, you know, get a bit more hands-on a lot of the time and, you know, Mm -hmm. provide those critical interventions. And um, so it's an exceptionally rewarding job and anyone who's interested, you know, I think it's, you know definitely pursue it
0: well I and mean, how do you deal with it kev like i'm um, there's a lot of trauma you mentioned a lot of pre-hospital and then a sick patient you're looking after and how does kev what do you do kev, What's kev?
1: i think a lot of the time you know the, the support system at in yeah. the ambulance service and in the you know retrieval service is fantastic okay. and i think a lot of the um the benefit of all that is having debriefs with the team and reviewing cases and just essentially talking out these sort of cases in a supportive and safe manner is, you know, is for me what I th- think is the the best way of dealing with these, um, you know, different sort of scenarios. But, you know, the the type of support that you get working retrieval and the amount of opportunities you have to debrief these cases and discuss them as a team is exceptional so i think that's to me i see it as the, the best way of kind of going over these sort of things
0: are they pretty strict Ev? you know like you mentioned about like being healthy and you got to you, you do all these testing like you know let's say you have a bad week mate you get on the burgers and you know you get on the brewskis and you're not healthy <laughs> and then you got to jump on the retrieval shift man are they like you know doing the beep test or something like what you know
1: oh there is some fitness testing you do early on in it but You know, I think you want to just stay fit just to, you know, for a variety of reasons, but it is, it can be a physically draining job at times, you know, working in that sort of environment, you know, flying in the helicopter, being able to be switched on mentally at any time of day or night can be a bit draining just because you can't step away for five minutes and relax a lot of the time. It is, you have to follow that job through. So. You know, being physically fit, being well rested going into these shifts and all those things I find are essential to be able to perform at a you know high level when when needed on these jobs. Yeah, you can't
0: you can't, you know, check your Instagram when you're just about to jump out of a helicopter and snap a selfie for run us through a, a job, mate, a memorable job. We obviously de identify everything, but run me through yeah. Okay, I can think of one
1: early on in my registrar training that kind of provided me with a bit of an example of, I guess, we're working together as a team and um, understanding how many moving parts actually go into one of these jobs and how important the experience of the paramedics that you work with is. So I remember I got, we got called to a job of a patient who had had a blunt injury to their head on a construction site in, now this, this was in direct sunlight, um, on the fourth floor of a construct of uh, quite early in a construction site that was still very much in the process of being built, this patient had quite serious head injuries. Um, there was scaffolding, there was real bar everywhere. And arriving on the scene, you know my focus was initially on assessing the patient. Coming up with some sort of plan how I'm going to be medically manage this patient. So what we did is we brought the patient to actually the edge of a roof with a kind of a supported platform underneath. Yeah. Um, so I was standing with a patient at about three feet off the ground, which once again provided a pretty reasonable approach to be able to do a rapid sequence induction. For this patient for his critical head injuries, yeah. working on team, fortunately, we had the fire rescue team there. They set up a um, a blanket to shield us from the sun. We had some pretty good paramedics who were on scene who helped with iV access, coloring this patient fluids. everyone was working together, but this patient was quite unwell. managed to get the patient intubated, and then at that point. Um, I realized I was standing on the fourth floor. The access to this site was up a tiny little stairwell. And I realized, you know, my cognitive bandwidth was all focused on the initial management, how to intubate this patient. I hadn't actually thought, hadn't actually crossed my mind as to how we're going to get this patient off the roof of this construction site. So fortunately, you know, one of the paramedics I was working with was exceptionally experienced in these sort of things. And as I had been doing all this, What he had done is he had organized a boom lift from a nearby construction site to come over and act as a hoist to be able to load the patient onto that and subsequently down to ground level. So it was just, just to me, this seemed as a, really gave me an appreciation to how much kind of experience and how much working together as in the team um, on these sort of jobs really leads into, you know, all these sort of moving parts. And when my cognitive bandwidth is fully focused on just, The initial resuscitation and head injury management, blood transfusions and all these sort of things. Sometimes you forget the logistical plan. And fortunately, there's a very experienced paramedic who I was able to fall back on for that, you know, substantially bigger oversight and um, insight into the full picture as to what was going on.
0: Mate, oh, that's crazy, Kev. Mate, like, are you guys tubing with like, you know, you just talked about intubating these patients, you know, you, you propped him up. Like you're just obviously using your surroundings. Like are you just...
1: Absolutely. So you've got to oftentimes get creative and work with what you have um, available and try to really take control of the environment you're in. So making sure your kit dump where you're essentially you're opening your packs and putting all that equipment down is done at the best possible place. Yeah. Um, Controlling things like sunlight, controlling things like, you know, weather conditions, you know, if it's at night, ensuring you have adequate light to be able to manage this, ensuring that there's not large crowds around and thinking of as you're doing these sort of procedures, what's your extrication plan? Oftentimes the best place to actually intubate a patient is behind an ambulance as you have access to the ambulance suction Ah, okay. and some of the other bits and pieces on the ambulance and then be able to package the patient up and go. But obviously that's not possible in all situations. And sometimes you have to get creative in controlling your environment and think of, you know, what's possible with the tools and equipment I have and what's logistically what's gonna be the best place to do this and keep the patient moving.
0: Yeah, because I, I know working in a hospital now, we've got five thousand pieces of equipment. Um, and 5000 different scenarios and we can use any of those bits of equipment that we need but when you're carrying a pack on your back you've, you've only got to have you know a certain amount of stuff and it's got to weigh a certain amount i imagine for a helicopter
1: absolutely and all that that equipment that we bring in our packs is reviewed and updated on a you know a very regular basis basis every little bit in there is deemed to be essential and so any extra equipment you know review process have been put in place and it's just the Bare minimum kit, and but you know that kit so well, and it's been drilled into you that you know you know what where every piece of equipment in your kit is and how to use it. And I think that's one of the most essential parts of being able to function well in the pre-hospital and inter-hospital world is knowing how your equipment works and where every piece of that is.
0: Are you guys tubing like when you're intubating? Are we using cam like little cameras or something like to see down the airway, or you?
1: Yeah, so we've got CMAC video laryng- laryngoscopes, and I think that seems like it is. It was brought in at my current service about two years ago, and it seems okay. to be the standard of care throughout most retrieval services is to use yeah. um, a video laryngoscope, oftentimes for simple, straightforward intubations. The paramedics are having first first go. Yep. Um, they're doing a lot of the kit dump, and they are actually the ones who are doing these intubations. Yep. Whereas you're maintaining a bit more of an oversight into um, the the patient's overall care, providing the drugs and, you know, keeping an eye on things otherwise. So you're always working together as a team, but, you know, each person is interchangeable in that team, just knowing what that other person's role is.
0: What's Kevin's drug of choice for, for analgesia for trauma patients? What are you going to give Kevin? What's your... Mm-hmm. Oh
1: it, well, it depends. Are we doing it so for a rapid sequence induction? Once again, yeah. my, I'm most comfortable with using ketamine and rocuronium for yeah. that induction and paralysis process. Yeah. And for ongoing kind of pain relief and sedation and analgesia, it de- oftentimes depends how far you have to transfer. Whether or not yes. you're setting up a, an infusion of um, midazolam and fentanyl for the more prolonged transfers, or for some of the shorter jobs. Um, you know if it's only 10 15 minutes to get to hospital a couple of boluses of fentanyl and ketamine along the way can do the job so it all depends on you know the logistics and what sort of transport time you're looking at and what the needs of the patient are but you do have limited drugs in your pack yeah. um but being able to know how to use those and to be able to have a bit of flexibility knowing that not every situation is the same and being able to titrate those drugs that you need based on what you're seeing in front of you.
0: Has COVID changed anything for you, Kev, with COVID-19 happening?
1: COVID's changed everything, buddy. Yeah. It's um, it's (laughs) so true, bro, so true. It's incredible the amount of work and time that has gone into over the last few weeks in preparing retrieval teams. Um, Obviously to be able to transport these critically unwell covid patients so it's it has changed all the mission workflow for these potential covid jobs and to me the amazing thing about all this is is the rate of change this has all happened at but the continued evolution of this and that every time i go back into the you know whether it's in hospital or to retrieval service I'm going to have to refresh myself into all the new procedures, processes, and guidelines in regards to COVID. So Mm. it's a constantly evolving situation. Um, But it seems like everyone's, it's been incredible to see all the multi, you know, how what a multidisciplinary approach everyone is getting together to come up with processes to manage these types of patients. And it's quite, quite incredible to see how the rate of change has gone into every sort of, process even in the retrieval service to be able to potentially manage these type of patients.
0: Mm, with two of you.
1: With two of us. And well, you know, they've even expanded the teams out to often sometimes in groups of three, okay. um, to, to be able to ensure safety, um, to putting on, taking off of all of your equipment um for these type of patients and knowing they are going to be complex jobs. So
0: and potentially being yeah. in a in a helicopter with a COVID positive patient um you know what i mean like stuck in you know a helicopter you know. absolutely and it isn't it isn't
1: something to be taken lightly and i think you know, the amount of effort that has gone into ensuring the safety of all the staff involved is quite incredible and you know i would feel comfortable and safe moving a covid patient at this stage awesome. um, but a lot of work has kind of gone into that and getting that to a place where everybody seems like everybody's getting on board and you know comfortable and managing these type of patients
0: yeah okay one thing just a final say on retrieval what 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 is your final say on retrieval you know even though
1: the teams are small just being able to having confidence in your team members knowing that all that practice that you've done is going to actually pay off in those challenging pre-hospital environments so it's preparation is key for all this Mm. if you're well prepared for anything you'll be able to handle it on scene so i think mental preparedness physical preparedness and having drilled everything with your with your team and that you know that sort of mentality can be brought into hospital as well and i try to you know advocate for that in hospital so Mm -hmm. practice and mental preparedness i think are the keys
0: mate i appreciate your time um i appreciate your knowledge and sharing of your knowledge
1: Absolutely, thanks for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure and look forward to catching up with you soon.
0: Kev, yeah, mate, you're a fucking boss, mate. I love to you. Any advice given on the ED Jam should not be taken over your local medical practitioner. All right, buddy. Um, no,
1: I wasn't yeah, too, was too good. was all right? Yeah. I'm just not used to podcasting game. Oh, so, you're, you're sweet, You're into <laughs> it. All right, Send it through to me. I want to I want to, have to beat us some sh**. ha, ha, ha!